Hello and welcome. It has been a little bit of a break. And when I mean a little bit of a break, totally didn't have a, a mental breakdown or uh, you go on a hiatus, question life, anything like that. Uh, but we are back season three. Uh, this will be the uh, second episode in season three that you will hear. Uh, so it might sound a little not correct. And uh, the first episode, you might have heard us talking about things that happened months ago. But I assure you, uh, it's been sitting there waiting for the return. And the return is here, season three. Uh, we've been downloaded and listened to in uh, almost 10 countries, uh, over a thousand downloads. And, uh, you know, we're just getting started. So thank you all. And uh, I know sports have already started. Uh, so we're a little bit behind, but better late than never. And of course, we have to start off with our hockey talk. And we have our favorite panel of hockey guests here. Uh, and uh, so those of you who have joined us, why don't you uh, say a little hello and uh, thank you for coming back, joining season three and uh, kicking us off. Don't everybody talk at once. I know you're all excited and saving it. Uh, so we might as well jump in. Um, you know, it's it's kind of we're getting to that point, especially for the rookies. Uh, we're getting to that nine game threshold. It's early in the season, uh, but we're going to take a step back. And uh, at the end of last season, what were your thoughts uh, about your teams and just as a whole uh, going into the 2021-2022 NHL season? You know what coming from an Ottawa fan, um, I'm happy where we sit. We didn't do too hot out of the gate last season, but we finished strong. And my predictions coming into the season, as long as we got our key pieces signed, that you know what, you never know what they could do. They put on a great show towards the end of the season, and I'm happy and really hopeful for to see what the young kids can do. It took you long enough to get your guys signed. Uh, it's kind of become a laughing, you know, a bit of a punchline there, Cole. I know. I was worried. Rightfully so. Uh, <laughs> although maybe not quite as worried as us, us in Havland right about now. But I know we were all feeling pretty good at the end of last season. You know, yes, we fell short of the cup. But, hey, we got to the Stanley Cup Finals when nobody picked us to even get out of round one. No one get picked us out of round two. Or around three, so we defied a lot of the odds. Um, you know, was a little concerned coming into the year not having Shea Weber, and then suddenly then not having Carey Price, although he is due back soon to the team to start practicing again uh, and to get into game shape. Uh, but it has been uh, <laughs> has been the great it has been the most auspicious auspicious of starts, I should say, to the season. <laughs> Yeah, I had the same expectations um, with the Montreal Canadiens at the end of last year, pretty much over the moon. They'd made the Stanley Cup final. They won a game. So even though they lost, didn't get swept. 
Um, always a good thing. And uh, coming into the year, I was a little worried not having Price, not having Weber. Um, and then just the chemistry of the new guys coming in. That was a big, big kind of factor. Would they click? Would everything work? Drew Ann coming back, where does he fit now? Is everybody healthy? Is everybody not kind of Stanley Cup hungover? And well, yeah. <laughs> I think were you guys were. <laughs> were you guys worried at all with uh, you know them wanting to get back to essentially the normal schedule and the tight time frame because uh, the season went past normal and then with the previous year the bubble I mean they only started playing in January but uh, were you guys worried at all that uh, you know that typical Stanley Cup hangover they say you get the least amount of off season time. Uh, was that a worry and has that shown at all? Actually, I think it has. Uh, there's a lot of guys who have been getting hurt early on in the year. Uh, I mean, you take a look at Tampa missing, they're going to be missing Kutrop for the next eight to 10 weeks again. Um, and that's a bare minimum, eight to 10 weeks. Uh, you know, a lot of guys are just innocent looking plays and they're winding up going down with, you know, Drew Doughty's gone for six weeks with a knee injury. Uh, Joel Edmondson, I mean, he's taking care of some family matters, but he was hurt banged up in the preseason. So, yeah, the, the, the tight turnaround, even for teams that didn't make it to the finals, they, they were they were still playing hockey into June. There was a lot of teams still playing hockey in the late May, early June, when normally they would have been long into the offseason. So, yeah, there's a lot of – there's going to be probably a, a bigger rash of injuries than we all have probably ever expected to see. Now, do you think that's just the older players? Like you said, Dowdy, I mean, Kucherov's not old, but like he's been banged up before. Do you think this uh, favors the, the rookies and the younger guys to step up and show why they are in the league? Because um, it, it, it does seem like it's the older players or the ones from the past generations that have been suffering the most from this switch in schedule due to the who could have seen it pandemic you definitely see a lot of like the rookies or the younger guys start to step up when this does happen um i feel like their bodies may be a little more kind of used to it coming from whether it was college or juniors they're used to doing those tight turnarounds whether they go from like the season to if they play for in the world juniors to instantly back to a regular season again. Uh, so there, it's a good point for them to be able to also show why they were drafted, why they were chosen for the team, and really step up when those key veterans start to go down in the season. And it, it really helps them be able to stand out and have a team learn who they are and if they need a little more support, send him down back to the minors. One Cole Caulfield, I don't know what happened there. He came hot shot last season, and I don't know if I agree with him being sent down that early. I don't know about all you Montreal Canadian fans, but he was exciting to watch. I think with um, Cole Caulfield, if we're on that road, um, Cole Caulfield being sent down, I think he's just escaped goat for the team struggles early in the season because nobody's playing well. Jake Allen's not playing well. Nick Suzuki's not playing well. Mike Hoffman's kind of been the bright spot. He's got a few goals since he's returned. 
but that's about it. And he's the kind of, he's, he's the whipping league. You can't send guys on a one-way contract down without waivers. So he's, he's the, he's a scapegoat, I think. Is it that, or do they not want him to face that, you know, famous Montreal pressure? I mean, you, you hear about him more about Toronto and, we can get into the Toronto situation <laughs> soon, but uh, are, is it almost like they're protecting him uh, because like he hasn't, he still hasn't burned a year on his rookie contract unless he gets called up again. Uh, but cause it doesn't count in the playoffs uh, and he hasn't played more than nine games this season. So are, is it more of like a protection? You don't have to worry about the expansion and burning a year and that that's all done for a long, long time. So you don't have to worry about playing into that like teams have had to do uh, for the past few years. Um, do you think it's a protection thing uh, or like kind of like you said, like it, nothing? I didn't feel like the narrative was it was all on him, uh, but I think the more he was there and longer he stayed, it probably would have been mentioned when it really isn't his fault. I think it's a little bit of A and B. Um, yeah. You know, he, he delighted and he teased everybody in Montreal and all of our fans who don't live in Montreal uh, with his, his game playing the playoffs. He was a driving force on more than one occasion for towards you know getting the offense going um I, i'm not sure that protection is the right word though um i think a little more seasoning is what is, is more what it's about get him back to a consistent level level of gameplay the ahl while being the direct minor league to the nhl is about a half step slower more quarter step slower than the nhl is so it, you just get him get his confidence back a little bit get him going and then bring him back up. And like you said, the expansion is long over with. We're not going to see a 33rd team for many, many years, if ever. Um, so they're not worried about burning a year of his contract or anything like that. But I, I definitely think that, you know, they want to get him right again, physically, mentally, just get the whole thing on the same page. And that way, when they bring him back up, it's the Cole Caulfield we saw near the end of last season when he was electrifying and then the playoffs when he was, you know, a semi-dominant force. Yep, I'd agree with that. So, uh, did any of you watch the uh, the Amazon Prime uh, All In documentary? Um, as a- yeah, I I mean, as a Sens fan, I haven't. Uh, I know there are a few people who have uh, started it uh, that couldn't make it today. Um, I've just, you know, after every single thing, it's it's getting really hard to be a, a Leafs fan. Uh, and that's those are quotes or the same quote from multiple fans that I've heard. Uh, this offseason didn't quite uh, help. Uh, do you guys think... Uh, and we'll, we'll talk about the start of the season in a little bit, but uh, who's in the better position? Is it Montreal or is it Toronto? Well, if you want to talk right now this season, Toronto, I would say, is in a better position to finish higher in the standings. But if you're talking future, it's Montreal by a long shot. 
Oh, no question. Montreal, in that case, over Toronto. They just, they they can put together a team, but can that team produce? And it's shown year after year that they can slowly start improving, but when it gets to actual crunch time, they just fall through the cracks like every year. They don't produce I don't know enough that's... when it comes time to like playoffs and stuff. I don't know if anybody uh, read about this. I actually was reading an, uh, an article the other day and I had a talk with a, with a colleague at work. Um, you notice that the, that all-in documentary was filmed a, a bit during the playoffs. And you notice that when a few of the cameras started prodding a bit more, uh, the Leafs started crumbling, five, six, and seven, games five, six, and seven. Uh, so there's a bit of a theory, call it a conspiracy theory, that the extra added pressure of cameras in the room didn't help the Leafs, and they couldn't quite, you know, they couldn't say everything that needed to be said when it needed to be said. It was always coming a day late and a dollar short sort of thing. That they, they weren't able to rebound the way that they should have been able. And let's face it, they should have been able to rebound and beat Montreal. Montreal just got a really hot hand in Carey Price for, for, for a few games and uh, stole the series. But I don't know. Did, did anyone, anyone buy into that? That the extra cameras were a little too much for the leaks, maybe? Given how young that's, most of that team is? See, it's hard with that because of the added pressure that Toronto builds as an industry in the NHL and a franchise with how popular they are and how much added pressure. And you've seen in the past, some players get basically booed out of Toronto just because of the fan base alone. And they are still great players. And you see it right now, like Kadri, phenomenal player. And you see him in Colorado performing uh, just as well as he did in Toronto. But when it came down to the added pressure of Toronto fan base, that he just seemed like the worst player possible. He couldn't do anything right. So I don't know per se, like it could have made an impact, but I feel like by now I think they should be used to it with the added pressure of the city itself. That is an interesting uh, view on it though. I think with the cam, the added cameras being like, I haven't seen the documentary, but I think with the added cameras, they're just feeling that added pressure, that added expectation, whereas Montreal is just kind of, you know, there's no expectation on us. If we go far, awesome, they're going to love us. Whereas in Toronto, it's, we got to win, we got to win. Uh-oh, we're losing. Now we're in trouble. Now they're all over us. And that's where they're crumbling. Maybe. I mean, I'm not in the room. I'm not an expert on the on Maple Leafs or even NHL locker rooms, but maybe it's a little bit of that as well. Just the, the expectation from the fans. Yeah, like on the surface, I mean, it, out of anywhere, Toronto has the most amount of cameras, reporters, questions, pressure. So I, I don't know if... I mean, maybe being, you know, you're getting this Amazon sports documentary that's kind of like hard knocks from the NFL. Uh, like, I don't know. Was it also too the right time to do it during a pandemic? I mean, uh, I don't know. I mean, Amazon's got a kajillion dollars. It can do what it wants, but 
uh yeah we're not we're not locker room experts but uh so training camp opens initial thoughts going into this season were you guys worried that uh like player protection were you worried that fans are allowed essentially every stadium do you think that the protocols so far are working or do you did you think going into the season that we'd even get all 82 games in uh what were what were your thoughts um i'm thinking with facts with the vaccination policies in a lot of these even other pro leagues that you're not going to see too too many cases um i feel like they can get a full 82 in as long as the players aren't being obviously just wild with what they're doing as long as they're staying kind of as protected as possible within the rules i think we get 82 in for everybody Yeah, I agree. I feel like going into this season uh, with like the NFL already starting and you kind of saw around their angles of where they were pretty much going with their COVID guidelines and all the such with fans that especially towards the end of last season, the States had full arenas going. You saw that it was going to start to come to Canada. And once we got away from the sort of semi divisions that we did during covid like aka the canadian division that we there's gonna be no issue of getting all 82 games in and i think it's going well it looks good i think my biggest concern was you know not wasn't concerned about fans back in the stands uh or the or the covid protocols regarding the fans um i was a little concerned you know for Canadian teams crossing the border and American teams coming up to Canada for really the first time outside of the Stanley Cup finals. Um, I was a little concerned, you know, would players adhere to the, the protocols because they are pretty strict on the, when the Canadian teams cross out of the States and when the States teams cross up here, they are fairly strict that they are restricted to certain areas. Uh, I was just hoping that the COVID outbreak wouldn't happen and we wouldn't see games canceled. That was, that was a big narrative last year, games being postponed and rescheduled and the season going an extra couple of weeks longer than it should have. Um, or at least as, as originally scheduled. Uh, I was just hoping that we could get the whole way through, get all 1,300 plus games in without any postponements due to COVID. I mean, if natural disasters happen, different story. Yeah, but the was, annual uh, snowstorm that's, that's canceled Buffalo's game. You know, no fans <laughs> go there anyway, so it wouldn't be it wouldn't be missing much. And... I mean, it's not like they're missing Jack Eichel. Yeah. <laughs> well let's uh Who's that? yeah so there from what i can recall so much has happened uh, in the past few months uh which is why podcasts wasn't going on but uh, a few of the storylines is uh you know salary cap would toronto and tampa bay be able to you know farm a team uh out of pennies um and uh you know one involving montreal the whole offer sheet uh that uh kept everything interesting for a for a whole week 
Uh, and of course, Jack Eichel getting so tired of losing in Buffalo that he's like, nah, I'm just going to sit this one out and you guys can send me somewhere. Um, what were your uh, kind of big news summer summer moments of the off season? I think you hit most of them on the head there, Justin. You know, speaking as a Habs fan, the Kotkaniemi offer sheet was a bit of a sucker punch. Uh, to not, not so much in terms of how it was done, but just it sort of caught everyone so off guard that it sort of sucker punched you awake a little bit. Um, the Jack Eichel situation just evolved. I mean, we heard about it all late last season that he was when he was hurt and everything, but just the way that it the, the way that it de-evolved. You know, it, it didn't evolve towards resolution. Just kept going and a bickering back and forth like two like a married couple. Um, that's just how ridiculous. It's just like just sign the fucking medical treatment and get it done. He's a star player. He's your captain. Or not anymore. Um, and the I, I'm not sure that the least cap situation was as big a deal to me as as it has become now. We'll, we'll maybe touch on that in a few in a few minutes with the, the Morgan Riley deal. But um, the fact that the cap was pretty much flat and seeing teams scramble to, you know, get underneath the cap was definitely a fun thing to watch. Yeah, I think the way they handled the whole Jack Eichel thing was just ridiculous. Uh, I mean, they took away his captaincy because he chose, he wanted actual medical attention. And they didn't want to do that. And the whole back and forth thing, like you said, Charles, was just ridiculous. Like, he's a star player. He's one of your best players you have on your team. He, he wants to be repaired. He's young. He still has a huge future still ahead of him. Just get him the proper treatment. Yeah, he may have to sit out a year, but that is that. And the whole cap space, yeah, like you said, it was, it was kind of interesting to see some teams scramble more than others. Obviously like Tampa Bay where I don't know, they pay they'll play their whole funny cap game like last year where they bring back, oh, all these players are suddenly fine and they're good for the cap space, even though they're over like 18 million randomly. Oh yeah, it's nothing. He's fine. But yeah, no, it was like it it would have been nice to see the cap go up a little bit, but also good at the same time to make players realize they want to play on a good team. They have to be able to negotiate an okay salary and be willing to kind of play with that if you want to contend for a cup. Yeah, um, just basically echoing everyone else. Jack Eichel situation, ridiculous. You guys have touched on a lot of those issues. Um, a big one for me with the cap space that was interesting was watching not just Tampa Bay and um, Toronto trying to scramble. It was all the teams trying to scramble to maybe we want to offload this so we can take a run at this guy. Oh, this guy's available potentially. Maybe we'll dump some cap to try to get him and just all those puzzle pieces moving around. I found that kind of interesting. Not, not that there was anything overly huge moved. But it was still interesting to kind of piece together, okay, where did this guy go? Where did this guy go? What happened here? What happened here? After everything was kind of said and done. I mean, yeah, I, and I was listening to a podcast today 
like what are your like the whole it's it, it's hard to pinpoint what's going on in the buffalo like at this point do you just blow it up again and like you know actually start like I, i'm not a doctor but like a herniated disc is pretty serious especially for an athlete and them going no no our doctors say just some bed rest and like like it's someone's body like this brings up a whole huge issue like if you're under contract does your say matter or is it like the team because they have you under contract like it just opens up a huge can of worms that i i no one knows about but I, i can't see jack playing in buffalo again so what or who are your do you think because there's been this like five team thing that's been mentioned. Like who, who do you realistically think can land uh, Jack Eichel, especially with a flat cap? It's funny. Cause like the five teams that they keep showing for the Jack Eichel thing, I'm pretty sure are like pretty tight on that cap space because they all have big star players and they're all looking to try and figure out more space. So I I honestly don't think any of the five could be a potential landing spot for them. Um, maybe some up-and-coming teams that have some extra room, like maybe Calgary make a run for them. Um, but I don't see like the Pittsburgh that they show or whatnot to really be able to like actually crunch at them. Keep in mind, Buffalo has stated that they're not going to retain any of Eichel's salary in a trade. They will, they are willing to take back a bad contract or two to even it out. So it's money in, money out for teams against the cap. But they're not going to retain any of his salary at all. They said not one penny. Uh, and they are looking for like a couple of, you know, NHL ready players plus prospects and picks for this. Like it's like a multi piece deal to make this work. And Quite silently, two teams have moved sort of into the forefront pole positions to, to look at them because they have the cap space and the draft pro- prospect capital and current players. And these two franchises are sort of in need of a swift kick in the arse to get going again. And Cole, you just mentioned one of them, and that's Calgary. Um, Anaheim is going to be the other one. Both oh. teams have a lot of exciting... Yeah, well, Anaheim, <laughs> I caught you off guard. Both teams have draft pick capital, prospect capital. Uh, I mean, look at Anaheim. They've got Max Comtois. They've got Sam Steele, uh, Jamie Drysdale, just to name a few. And what's his name? Trevor uh, Zegras. They've got four players right there. They could part with one or two of them to get Jack Eichel, plus, you know, maybe something else out of their farm system. Calgary, uh, I mean, look, look at the team. They didn't. They weren't as active in free agency as people thought they were going to be. They only got Blake Coleman, not the world's biggest addition. Sure, great, great in the locker room, good bottom six player. Not exactly an impact maker, though. Um, Jack Eichel would be the guy that they would really like to, re- to build this team around for the future. And I could very easily see a couple of their actually established guys going back to Buffalo. Johnny Gaudreau, I think he's in need of a scenery change there. Mm-hmm. Uh, don't be surprised because I think he's a pending UFA coming up. Uh, I think, this year I think you're right. 
yeah, so don't be surprised to see him suddenly maybe shifting off the Buffalo there. Um, they, they've got to make room, and then they got to get Matthew Kachuk signed. And we just saw what, you know, what Brady did with Ottawa. Not that, you know, that Brady was purposely trying to hold them up. He wanted a home run deal, and he got his deal. Matthew's not going to play any different with Calgary than Brady did with Ottawa. So, if you, if, you know, yeah. if they want to keep Kachuk. <laughs> when, you're, when your dad. Michael's the guy who keeps, Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Sorry to bring that one when up. You, Sorry. When your dad is Keith, and uh, yeah, you and you got the to Chuck last name there. <laughs> it's it's uh, you're you're in for a tough discussion and tough negotiation. So, uh, you know, Calgary's a new one. I hadn't heard Calgary. I've heard Pittsburgh. I've heard Colorado. I've heard uh, the Rangers. Someone threw out New, new Jersey, like. Uh, Anaheim is, I think, the consensus number one for all the reasons you just said. Um, but it's it's gonna you're possibly able to make it work out with the, the extension they just gave to Fox. Yeah. No way. Now, oh yeah. Now, from what they first initially said they wanted, both uh, for Buffalo side. Who do you think is going to get traded first, Jack Eichel or Deshaun Watson in the NFL? <laughs> so I think I think initially oh, Jack for sure. where's I the think, coin? <laughs> yeah, I think when they first both came out, uh, kind of well, not around the same, but roughly, it was just like okay, like Similar. five first picks, like players, cat. It's like who? None. Both of these players are good, but they're not like mortgaging your you know next you know, a decade's worth of talent like both are not eligible to play let alone could be yanked at any minute to not be able to play and There's yeah like since looking at the lawsuit city and, and criminal time that this goes forward i wouldn't count on seeing him ever play an nfl game again exactly and then yeah, yeah, yeah like yeah, michael exactly. still needs the surgery so he's still, <laughs> you know, he won't be playing if he gets traded. This he won't be playing this year uh, unless his recovery goes remarkably fast, which could happen if he got the surgery this month, <laughs> like but, yesterday. Yeah, so <laughs> you're giving up. A week yeah, we could. Yeah, we're already <laughs> behind schedule, guys. Just. Uh, like, Walk it off. Walk it off. <laughs> you're asking a lot for someone who won't touch the ice until potentially training camp 2022. So uh, it, it's yeah, Buffalo is just a hot mess. But if you're Calgary or Anaheim, I think it's a gamble you're still going to take simply because of what it can do for your rebuilds. Oh, yeah. Oh. I think yeah. and well, Anaheim's got like I, like I mentioned, four or five true like top prospects that could really gel with that team. And Eichel could be that next guy in waiting that Getzloff hands the torch off to because Getzloff is in the twilight of his very long and productive and successful career. Uh, he just passed Timo Solani for most points all time in a Ducks uniform. So congratulations to a good Canadian boy there, Ryan Getzloff. Um, but they need someone to take the lead there, and they really don't have anybody yet. And Michael would be that guy. Yeah, Anaheim makes the most amount of sense. Uh, Buffalo just can't 
Buffalo it up and won an entire kingdom for one player because no one, you know, as much as you want Jack Eichel, you're not mortgaging your future, your present, and many, many fans that are going to go when you just give whatever a team wants. So has to be some tough negotiating. All right, we've made it to opening night. What are your thoughts opening night happening? Did you have goosebumps? Did it feel normal per se? Uh, Was it uh, everything that you imagined it would be? Because it's uh, last year's didn't feel quite the same. So did this feel more back to normal? Oh, absolutely. Um, Yeah, granted, the opening night result for my Montreal Canadiens wasn't exactly what uh, wasn't the greatest game overall but uh definitely you know hearing oh canada hearing fans singing along uh seeing the stanley cup banner being raised for tampa i'm not gonna lie mildly emotional because it just felt normal after almost two years of nothing being normal at all yeah i completely agree i mean for ottawa it was great by noon brady kachuk was signed uh, you know, it was brought music to my ears. I was so happy when I got that notification. And then when he greeted the crowd, when they beat Toronto for the opening night, oof. It was, uh, I was so happy for that night. It was great seeing fans in the stands again. It was just that normalcy, like you said, just felt like it never changed. Just one thing before Kenzie chimes in here. Just one thing. I got to give props to the Ottawa DJ that when they introduced Kachuk and they had Stone Cold Steve Austin's theme going behind him. That was crashing two beers together and drinking. And that was the only thing that was missing. <laughs> yeah. yeah um, for me, opening night, same thing as you guys. It was pretty, pretty nice to see the anthems, the fans in the stands. Um, the other thing was hockey started in October <laughs> again for the first time in a couple of years. We had a January start last year and kind of a broken season before that. So just seeing, you know, hockey in October again was nice. Now, the other thing we got to see on opening night was the newly expanded Seattle Kraken. Um, now I'm, I kind of envious of any Seattle team because they always have very, very unique color schemes. Uh, I mean, when you have a powerful name, like the Kraken, it's really hard to go wrong on your first jerseys. And, uh, you know, there's no mascot yet, but, uh, I'm sure they're going to unveil a killer mascot. How can you go wrong? They've already partnered with Kraken Rum. I mean, that's just a partnership. Duh. Um, <laughs> and, just- yeah, like that. <laughs> and uh, and then they have a unique um, doing the three stars. Instead of throwing sticks over the ice, they throw uh, plush salmon. <laughs> Which uh, I think that's uh, hilarious. I'm just it's, waiting for someone fitting. from the crowd to throw a salmon on the ice. But uh, 
So uh, what were your thoughts of uh, Seattle and their opening night and their first uh, 10 games as an organization? Um, I thought it was pretty much like I thought earlier in the summer after I saw the expansion roster, I figured they would be solid. They would be competitive, but not overall very talented. Um, the goaltending is great. The defense is pretty good, but where they're lacking is goal scoring. Um, they have surprised me this year. They have been able to score a ton of goals more than my Canadians. Um, but yeah, wah, wah. Um, <laughs> but, um, no, overall, I think they're pretty good. I am a huge fan of their jerseys. I will say that those jerseys are, as the kids would say, fire. <laughs> <laughs> they did not disappoint with those jerseys and the color scheme, all in all, the team, like you said, is a solid team. It's a solid belt. They'll get there eventually with their goal scoring and what the more the team gels together and whatnot not like the vegas golden knights coming out of the gate but you know what and the first 10 games are pretty well pretty great um it's great seeing a lot of the celebrities kind of come up and support them as well to build up that seattle fan base you mean the the mermaid from starbucks is a big fan of theirs I don't know any other celebrity that's from Seattle. It's just, it's Starbucks and Amazon, right? That's, that's what Seattle. Oh, there, there was Russell Wilson and Sierra there, you know, with his little dangle thumb. Broken, After broken Russell injury. Wilson. He's <laughs> <laughs> yeah. got nothing else I to do. Might as well hang out at the hockey games. It's, uh, yeah, Exactly. <laughs> Someone said there would be ice here for my finger. I didn't know I couldn't put my finger on the ice. No, I I think from a marketing perspective and a presentation point of view, Seattle is headed out of the ballpark. They're doing just as good as Vegas in that regard. Uh, Jerseys, it's been mentioned, spot on, great color scheme. Um, Anytime you can mix in blue with Seattle, it just goes well. The Mariners, Seahawks have proven it. So the Kraken went with that. Their partner, their marketing brand partnerships, match made in heaven. There, they're just they're doing well there. Their on ice product is, is pretty much. Uh, I'm in full agreement with Kenzie. It's exactly what I thought it would be. They would never. They won't surrender a ton of goals like the early expansion teams in the '90s would. Ottawa, San Jose, Florida. The first couple of years, just getting lit up. Uh, Atlanta as well we can throw in there just getting lit up the first couple of years uh, but they're definitely lacking on firepower and I thought I said it back when the expansion draft happened uh, they missed the boat I'm getting a couple of big name offensive guys who could trail the tie uh, they didn't do a good enough job with the negotiating window getting you know either draft picks or trading certain players from getting, getting extra players and trades to not select certain people they played the wrong kind of game there. So it's going to hurt them in the short term, maybe not so much in the long term, because if they finish in the bottom bit of the league, they'll have a good shot at getting Shane Wright uh, this year and, you know, some of the up and coming guys in from 2023. So long term, maybe it helps them. Short term, they will be exciting on home ice. They're going to be a tough team to play against in their own end, but they're not going to score four or five goals a night like Vegas did. 
I was really surprised on their tactic when they were selecting the team and the way they kind of went. But I guess, like you said, Charles, I feel like they were playing the long game more than the shorter game at first. And hopes, I don't know, maybe they can use the leverage for all their picks to trade first players later on, closer to the deadline. But I don't know. We'll see when it, throughout the season and see how it goes. Now, as the season as the season has started, and uh, you know teams have begun to play, uh, things have uh, kind of been unveiled. Uh, of course, we are a, a happy podcast, but I think we'd be doing a disservice uh, to the whole situation, to all those involved, especially since they uh, have come forward. Um, but what a mess! the Chicago Blackhawks have caused uh, and uh, you know, the really there's, there's no way uh, to sugarcoat what has happened. Um, like what's, <laughs> I don't even know what to say, but uh, the only person that's come out uh I mean, good or uh, people are supportive is for Kyle Beach. Like he's the only one um, that has come out and really shown and thrown the hockey world on its head. Uh, You know, there's calls for Gary Bettman to resign now. There's so much going on um, and no one's even talking about the product on the ice right now. And they, they, you know, looked like they put together a pretty competitive team this year. What do you guys make of all of this uh, and how it's been covered up? And do you think people have unjustly gone after people like Jonathan Taves um, and some of the players? Um, or do you think it was it was just for, for the players to be gone after just as much as the coaches, the general manager? I'm Kenzie Cole. You guys go first. I have a lot to say on this. So you guys go first. Yeah, honestly, I just say right first and foremost, kudos to Kyle for all the effort and the honesty to be able to uh, admit something like that. After all these years, it's so hard. And we want to say that we are here for you, Kyle. Um. Just the whole, everything that's gone down with that is just ridiculous. One story after another coming out now and how the whole NHL and Gary Bettman is really handling it is a joke. Honestly, they're not giving them any slaps on the wrist pretty much. They're just, it's just like they're getting away with everything, honestly. Uh, I'm glad that uh, Joe Quinville stepped down from his role with the Florida Panthers. I think that was the right move from him. Um, but I, it's a tough situation. It's, there's no easy way to handle such a situation like this, whether some of the players may have known or not known what was going on. You're all a team in that sense. You're all a family. There's no way you're telling me no one knew about what was going on behind the closed doors and whatnot. You're together 24-7 almost 
especially going throughout the playoffs, you're eating meals together, you're practicing, you see each other on a daily basis. Uh, for that to come out all these years later and nothing really happening about it is really disgusting. And it it's hard coming from an NHL fan who saw so much that like Gary Bettman and other players and all that team that did in that 2010 playoffs. Um, but it's just, it's extremely eye-opening that something like that has happened and been covered up for all these years. Yeah. I, uh, I still don't really have the words to kind of explain it other than to say, obviously supporting Kyle beach and, anybody else who's a victim of that in any sport for that matter, because that shouldn't happen. Um, for me, this is kind of the second sport that I love to see kind of turned on its head like this. Um, people have heard a lot about the United States gymnastics. Um, it's also happened in the athletics world to a huge degree that people are just starting to uncover. There's been a few recent cases in Canada that have, really promoted that safe sport, especially in athletics. Um, as always, it's disgusting. It's heart-wrenching to hear these stories, to hear these people, and to hear just how long some of these things were covered up. 10 years is a little bit too long. Um, now, the one thing I'll say before I kind of turn it over to Charles, and it might sound controversial, is I do think... Those that those that knew there was a lot of them. Kyle Beach didn't just say to Stan Bowman, to Joel Quenville, to Duncan Keith, to Patrick Kane, and Jonathan Taves. It sounded like he was telling everybody who'd listen. Um, you can't you can't blame certain people because it's a player going and saying, "Listen, this happened. You have to deal with it," and they're being essentially silenced. It's, it's those people that need to be punished. The ones that were doing the silencing, the ones that were saying, don't say anything. We're this close to winning. We're this close to being this great thing, this great entity, this great athlete, whatever the case may be in the sport. And if those that are covering it up, those are the ones that need to be dealt with harshly, swiftly, and brutally, in my opinion, jail time, fines, kicked out of the league, whatever it may be. And the NHL is botching it as we're seeing in live, live time right now. The NHL is dropping the ball. And I hate to say this, but yes, Bettman does need to resign. And there does need to be an independent investigation into this. That's where I'll leave it. Well, <laughs> there is a lot to cover on this one. And, you know, just to echo Kenzie and Cole, Kyle Beach, you are one tough hombre because that takes a gone as the size of a country to put your name out there, attach it to it, and to be a lightning rod for everything that's gonna be, that could be uncovered. That man has got more balls than anyone on this podcast, and I'm not afraid to admit it. That takes a lot of guts. So respect, and God, I hope he gets the support he needs because carrying a dark secret that for so long screws with your head. Um, there is a lot of people here who need to get their asses handed to them on a silver platter. And unfortunately, some of them decided to step down and resign and step away 
before severe punishment could be really handed out to them by their league, by their bosses. Stan Bowman, first and foremost, because the order to keep it quiet would have had to come from him because uh, whether or not people will argue whether or not the the Blackhawks owner uh, knew or not, if he doesn't know, that lies on Bowman for hiding it from him and keeping it hush-hush and a lot of people shutting their mouths over the years. So it starts with at the top and moves its way down. Uh, I fully support the fact that they're going to take Brad Aldridge's name off of the cup. No predator should ever be allowed to celebrate uh, a joint success like that. Uh, should never have his name attached to it where you can actually say, hey, look, I was a Stanley Cup champion. No, you don't deserve to, to have that honor. Now, they can't take his ring from him, but they can certainly take his name off the cup. So that way no one in the future can see his name there. So kudos to the Hockey Hall of Fame and everybody else who made that happen. Uh, the statements from Johnny Taves and Patty Kane was a disgrace, to say the least, because it pretty much, they, you know, while they didn't come out and fully say, we support Stan Bowman, they tried to mitigate it. It, it, it really comes out, if you read it, it looks like it, they tried to mitigate Bowman's responsibility and Quenville's responsibility and everybody else who was in that room who knew about it. And that is a extreme disservice to the fact that both those guys carry, uh, you know, letters. Cave Taves being the captain of his team, Patty Kane, you know, the, the two most influential players on that roster, and they go behind like that, and just you know, they they don't, you know, they don't distance themselves from it. They actually say, you know, we're on sort of on that side. Um, you know, I was a big fan of Johnny Taves. Always have been since his days in junior. One, you know, he had his. Big moment for Team Canada, the World Juniors, and then, you know, the Olympics, blah, 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 multiple Stanley Cups. But I lost a lot of respect for him. And I'm not sure I want to see him on Team Canada this time from when the Olympics show up, just because it's hard. It's really hard to support a player like that when they, when they come out and don't, you know, condemn negative actions like that, when they don't condemn a predatory action against a 20-year-old kid who, for lack of a better term, at 20 years old, you're still trying to find your bum with both hands and a roadmap. And oh, he's, yeah. all he wants to do is be a success in the NHL. He wants to have a career because every kid in Canada who grew up loving hockey and a lot of kids from the northern United States, that's one of your biggest dreams is to play in the NHL. You make it there and you want to be a success. You want to make money. You want to win Stanley Cups. And then someone takes advantage of your youth and your naivete, takes advantage of you, assaults you, and then tells you to shut your mouth if you want to have a career. So there's so much wrong in that organization there. And you guys are talking about who there's couldn't have just been the four or five people who knew. There's a lot of people who knew. You're a hundred percent right. Um, kudos to the couple of people who did come out and actually, and you know, evidence corroborates that you know, uh, a couple of the other minor coaches there. I think one of the, the skills coaches and one of, and a couple of guys like Brent Sopel who were on that team were vocal in their support for him saying, no, we need to investigate this, but they were told quietly shut up or you're not, you're not, not going to play sort of thing. Um, so kudos to them for trying to stand up for beach and trying to stand up for a kid that they didn't know, but because he was part of the organization they had loyalty for. Uh, but then, you know, we, now we move on to how the NHL is handling this. And while I think the NHL is botching it, I don't know, like, maybe my opinion's unpopular, but I don't know if it's time for Bettman to resign just because of this. There's a lot of things he needs to resign for. (laughs) 
Uh, not too many other sports have had three work stoppages with him as a commissioner. Well, with just one commissioner. So uh, that's another topic. We could talk about that another time about Bettman's track record. Um, I think the guy who needs to have his ass handed to him even more than Bettman is Donald Fair, because according to everything else that's been out there, Beach went to the PA, Beach asked for help, and where was it? From his own brethren and, and, and the executive committee of his own brethren. Where was it? And Donald Fair is at the head of that, and nothing was to be found. So, yes, he said, let's have an independent investigation. I wouldn't be surprised to see it end with the axe coming down on his time there because it should. I don't know how much further I want to go with that but because, uh, unfortunately, uh, that subject is a very volatile one for me, uh, sexual abuse. It uh, enrages me like very few other things can, and I have to try and keep my blood pressure under control. That's yeah. You guys all nailed it on on the head. Like how how many people tried to keep it hush hush? How many people used? Uh, you know, you were talking about Jonathan Taves and all that. Like you know, being a at the time he was twenty two, so like it's kind of around the same age. You know, at twenty two, could you handle a situation like that? No. His comments now, yeah, you should totally distance yourself from from Stan Bowman, all that. I, I don't understand his quote today. Uh, you know, I'm, I certainly know a heck of a lot more at 32 than I did at 22. Um, but, like, everyone seems to be just mishandling this so bad. And I, I don't understand. This is a black eye. And then there's another, uh, you know, allegation out there with the penguins and how the penguins are getting sued for their minor hockey uh, system. And it's, it's a rough time to be in uh, the NHL, you know, you know, and the NFL went through a huge few years where their star players were just getting videotaped and arrested. And, you know, they've tried to get that under wraps um, you know, now it's, I guess the NHL is, you know, always been seen as the, the, the fourth league in the, the major four. And especially in the United States, it's, you know, oh yeah, hockey, right. Yeah. I forgot that's on. Yeah. Uh, and now it's getting a black eye and the attention that it does not want, but it needs to be out there because the, this atrocity has happened and, Kyle's story deserves to be said and those involved definitely need to be punished. And until that happens, uh, you know, this is just the tip. It's going to go on for a little while. That situation in Pittsburgh is just like, it's almost as ridiculous as the one in Chicago. Yeah, it really is. I mean, how, how Billy Guerin is, you know, even named as now the, uh, the acting general manager of the U.S. Olympic team when he's part of this investigation is beyond me. Bowman was forced to step down both from Chicago and the U.S. Olympic team. Guerin should be no different. Mm-hmm. You are correct. Well, now that the hard stuff is out of the way... The season is underway. Some teams have played 
10. Some teams have only played seven because everyone loves the way that the NHL schedules the games. Makes no sense, but um, we are 10 games into the season. That's uh, sticking point. The first, uh, you know, the 10%. How is it going? Has anyone surprised you? Uh, Anyone you know, disappointed your uh, thoughts of how they would do? Uh, I mean, I, I know one team that's probably going to come to mind for, <laughs> for some of the people here. <laughs> yeah. yeah. I don't Just, know who, we but... might as well get that elephant out of the way there. So you're, you're... – Kenzie, do you want to talk Montreal first? Or you want me to do it? You, you go guys, ahead. <laughs> you guys are not the worst. You're two and eight. Uh, there, there are teams yeah, that but... still haven't won. Only one. Chicago <laughs> yeah. got that win against Ottawa last night, so now there's only one winless team, and that's Arizona. Uh, but that's no one's surprise there. It's Arizona. They, they're as bad as Buffalo in terms of trying to blow it up and rebuild. Each They just keep building a bigger crater, and they can't seem to get any foundation there, <laughs> like Wiley Coyote. Um, <laughs> but, no, I honestly, and it's going to hurt me to say this, but the Montreal Canadiens have been the biggest disappointment of the season. Um, I expected them to at least be 500. I, I didn't expect them to come up and be world beaters. Kenny talked about it earlier on that, you know, there's some new players coming into the lineup, you know, with Martin, then Savard, Hoffman, Paquette. Uh, well, a lot of new gel has to happen there. So it, it was, it was going to take a few games for them to find their groove, and that was to be expected. But I figured 10 games in the season that a four and six or five and five record wasn't out of the realm of expectation considering who they were playing. You know, they were going to have a game against Buffalo. That should have been a win. They were going to have games against the weak Pacific Division, Seattle, Anaheim, L.A., rebuilding teams that they sh- and an expansion team that they should have just handed them their ass on a platter. And if five wins shouldn't have been that hard to get. Apparently it is. Um, Mike Hoffman being the lone bright spot, as Kenzie also mentioned earlier, with, you know, he's had, what, four or five goals now in the last six games. Uh, similar to his time when he was with Ottawa, when he gets hot, man, just give that man the puck. Uh, he makes things happen. Uh, did not see coming, however. Uh, now, Tampa, not so much now, but at one point, all four semifinalists were the bottom of their league, of their divisions. The only reason Tampa wasn't eighth is because Montreal was behind them. Uh, but everybody else, the Islanders were in eighth at one point early on in the season with a sub-500 record. Vegas was at the bottom of the Pacific. So... You know, a few teams are starting to write the ship now. Tampa's getting up there. Vegas is starting to wake up a little. Uh, the Islanders are starting to get their going. Montreal's still scuffling. But those who talk cup hangover is a thing, especially with, with a short turnaround. Absolutely is it a thing this year. And I don't know if I want to spoil this for everybody else. I know I'm sure everyone else has stuff to talk about. But who the heck saw the, um, the Carolina Hurricanes and the Edmonton Oilers and the Buffalo Sabres and the Florida freaking Panthers having such great starts of the year. I mean, Edmonton, sure, uh, getting Zach Hyman, Duncan Keith, Cody CC, it really actually lengthens their lineup. They're off to a franchise tying 7-1-0 start. Good for them. They finally look like the team that we've been looking for for a couple of years. Uh, dare I say it, maybe 10 games of the season, maybe they actually end a near 30-year cup drought in this country. It'd be wonderful to see. As, we've, as we said last year during the playoffs, it'd be wonderful to see it happen. Uh, did not see Florida and Buffalo coming up with such good starts, though. Did not see that coming at all. 
No, and it's funny because uh, now that Freddie Anderson is uh, with Carolina now, uh, now he's a superstar after leaving Toronto. And Toronto is now hurting with their goalies. And it's funny how quick the tides have turned in such a short amount of time. You nailed the heads right there, Cole. A buddy of mine was talking to me earlier today, and he said that Ottawa used to be known as the goalie graveyard, and now it's going to be from Toronto because they just use up goalies and spit them out. Yeah. I'll give you I'll give you guys two names, teams that weren't mentioned that kind of surprised me out of the gate. Um, they've both kind of come back to earth recently, but um, San Jose and Detroit. Who saw those guys coming? They uh, they look pretty good to start the year off. Like I said, they've kind of come back a bit since the year began, but watching the first kind of three, four, five games for those two teams was kind of like, whoa, these guys are out flying here, especially when they were beating up on Montreal. <laughs> <laughs> Unfortunately, but they did. They looked, they looked really good. They did surprise me. I didn't think they'd look anywhere near that at this point. I know they're both rebuilding, but to see them kind of picking their socks up to where they used to be perennial contenders is kind of nice to see them two teams heading in the right direction as well. Yeah, and Detroit's had a lot of, like, the young guys for so long now that they're really starting to gel that core. Like, Bertuzzi has been on fire for them. He's been their base star player. Yeah. Now, one, <laughs> one thing about Florida, I mean, everyone's going to look at me and be like, are you crazy? I mean, the Panthers, they have all this great talent. How many years have they, have they gone out and signed three or four big free agents and it's blown up in their face, and they wind up having nothing all year long. I, you know, I'll be honest, a little guilty of just expecting the same old, same old. That it looks good on paper until it blows up in their face ten games into the season. All summer, everyone kept saying, "Watch out for Florida." Now, that's happened a few times, and then they get off to a hot start and yeah, filter away. But more and more people kept saying, "Look out for Florida." That this surprise run, if you will, 17 points already. I, you know, I, I guess that many people couldn't have been wrong, right? Like, <laughs> uh, it's, well, I mean, well. they could have, but like, it, it's, it's good whenever it's always good when a team like Florida is good because it, again, and the NHL is so good at parody and so good at, like your team's not going to be crap for 10 years and you get two good years and then you're crap again. Uh, it's, it, it's good. It could be anyone could have a year that no one expects. Now, of course the playoffs are a different beast, but uh, you know, Florida is showing that they're, you know, fans might not be showing up, but the team is. So that's, that's always a benefit. But my big surprise is the Metro division. Every single team is above 500 or at 500. I'm not surprised by that at all. That was the strongest division in the NHL on paper coming into the season. And I figured they were going to beat up on everybody else. That division will be a war of attrition come playoff time. I mean, it's hard to say. No one's out of, even Arizona, no one's out of the picture yet. Uh, Well, Arizona I mean, definitely. Is. Yeah, Matt, Arizona, Matt Chicago. 
<laughs> but like even Montreal, you know, they're not out of it yet. Uh, they're everyone's jumbo, at least in the Atlantic. Florida's away, but you know, Buffalo has five wins. You know, it's not it, it's not unattainable, but after this start, it's hard to say that there's going to be any other wild card positions available for the Atlantic. I think they're both going to go to the Metro. Like it's one, one thing just to keep in mind, and I'm reaching a little bit here. Laugh at me if you want. Remember about two years ago when the calendar flipped from 2018 to 2019 who was down near the bottom of the league in the standings? St. It Louis. was that year's eventual Stanley Cup champion, the St. Louis Blues. Yeah, but they had the power of Gloria and like... <laughs> <laughs> uh, I don't know. Never count anybody out until you get to the final 15 games of the season and they're mathematically eliminated. That is true. And there's... Yeah, there's... It. The yeah. Olympic break and all that stuff. And it's just, again, it's the first seven to 10 games. But like we saw with uh, the Blue Jays, those early on games can really bite you in the butt coming down to the wire. You had to go there, Justin. You I, just I, had to go there. I, I had to go there. You know, it's been so long since the podcast been out. I got to throw every single sport out there, even though this is a hockey centric episode. <laughs> um. <laughs> Now, speaking of Olympics, first three players for most teams have been named, but who who makes Team Canada, essentially? We're obviously going to do an Olympic podcast, a winter, got stuff planned. Uh, obviously, hockey is going to be a big thing, but we can't forget about all the other sports. But yeah, who... Is there going to be a surprise? There's always a surprise edition. Someone who comes out of nowhere has a great year, and you're like, "Well, you got to capitalize on that hotness." It, you know, does Steven Stamkos finally make an Olympic team? Do, like, who are our goalies oh, if Carey Price can't go? Like, Steven Stamkos made so uh, team, but he broke his leg. Well, yeah, he didn't That's go. Right. Sorry, yes. He, he got named and went, yahoo, and celebrated into the net. And <laughs> so does, I um, mean, he, he's up there in age now, but I, I would say he deserves a, a look, at least. It, it, it's going to be tough. This is going to be on international ice surface. This will not be on the NHL regulation ice. So I don't see Stamkos making it just on the simple fact that they're Team Canada is probably going to prioritize speed and guys who can not only go north-south, but can definitely move east-west quickly. Um, a name that people will not pick as our top five, but who will make Team Canada because he can actually move the puck now and play is Brad Marchand. A guy who can move like that very quickly. He can get around you. He's not a huge body, but so he can maintain his speed pretty easily. You know that if Bergeron goes, Marshawn goes, and they're going to play on Crosby's line, that's pretty much a given. That's just, you know, come on, common sense. These guys have done it now a few times. But guys who play with the same kind of speed and easy maneuver, not only going north-south, but east-west, like Brad Marshawn and Patrice Bergeron, and, you know, 
Connor McDavid, Sidney Crosby. Uh, that's going to be a roster that I think that they're going to prioritize to handle the international sites. Remember, it's wider than the NHL ice surface. Did I shock everybody? <laughs> that is a good point. I really feel like Brad Marchand has come like into his play in the last few years. And with this being the first NHL in a little or first Olympics in a little bit that NHL players will be able to attend, I could see him cracking the roster. Absolutely. And I I don't think Steven Stamkos will make it. As much as I am a huge Stamkos fan. I just think there's so many other Canadian athletes out there right now that are so in their prime that would be more of an advantage in the international ice than Stamkos would be. He may bring a lot of veteran player aspect to it and experience, but that doesn't always a huge case in an Olympic tournament like that. There'll be yeah. no shortage of veteran bodies there on the, on that team, Canada, for voices in the locker room. Yeah, bingo. I was just going to say that that is uh, one of my points. We're going to have enough veteran leadership there. You've already got Crosby there. You're already going to have maybe Marshawn and Merger on there. That's enough. Um, and the other thing too, like Charles was saying, I think it's going to be a team based on speed, which means a kind of a pension to younger players who are faster. Um, and then earlier on, we did talk about, you know, that quick turnaround between the season. Those guys are younger. I know when I was 21, 22, I could go for days, athletically <laughs> or other. Um, How many decades ago was that there, Kenzie? Well, now that I'm 32, I play hockey once a week and it takes me four days to recover. I'm older, <laughs> longer. <laughs> um, so I'm just I'm thinking it'll be a, a younger team as well, which may push guys like Stamkos, guys like Dowdy, guys like that kind of out of the lineup for Team Canada, who, yes, they're older. Yes, they're still very, very talented, but they may not be as quick as they used to be. I was actually had Dowdy on my team until he got hurt. Uh, he still got it. Yeah. And... The man is a two-time Stanley Cup champion. You know, we said leadership and cup won't be an issue in Canada. We'll have plenty of guys with that. I still had Dowdy on my top six. So I, I, I was actually really sad when he got hurt. But, uh, man, if he, if he can get back soon enough and actually still get the season, get his body going again, don't be shocked if Drew Dowdy is on that, uh, on that seven defenseman, one of those seven that Canada chooses. Well, that's the thing, right? Like, Forward wise, we're we're oversaturated. We could send two teams. You, you know, looking at the what people, uh, what like TSN and Sportsnet picked, like uh, like uh, depending on who you look at, the the lines are a little different. But you know, McDavid, Crosby, Bergeron. I like the Mark Stone edition. I think he should have been on Team Canada a while ago, but. Absolutely. Um, you know, Huberto, uh, you know, they have Mitch Marner, which sure as a Sens fan, but like he's, he's a good, uh, they have Tavares on here, which I, I don't, I, no. I don't think no. the big ice surface 
fits him. Uh, Sportsnet has Mark Scheifele on here, which I'm like, I don't like, is he going to be ready? Cause he's still, he's still injured if I'm not mistaken. Or is he back? I don't even. If he's not back yet, he's close. Yeah. yeah. Like I could be wrong as well. So he, he could be, I mean, if he comes back and wows and cool, like, uh, I'm I'm not going to say no. Uh, I just know he's been, you know, the past few years has not been kind to his body. Um, uh, <laughs> but I think the, I mean, defense, there are a lot of young guys, so it's just picking the right ones. Like you said, Drew Doughty and Duncan Keith, like just not young enough. But the goaltender, the goaltending is going to be our biggest question mark. Because before yeah. the season, you had Flurry, Price, and pick a young person, get them experience was essentially the the notion. You know, will Carey Price even want to go to the Olympics? I, I know, you know, from a athlete standpoint, of course, you want to go and compete the best. You're still good enough, um, but you know, mentally and everything that he's had to go through, like, is it right for him to go? It or does he need that time off? Uh, Flurry, I still think he has it. I mean, Chicago was a little bit of a dumpster fire, but he proved with L, uh, with Vegas that he could still play. And then what third uh, goaltender? Like a lot of people put uh, Darcy Kemper. Uh, is it? Is it him? Team Is it Canada had to release uh, an initial roster of uh, 50, and they had six goalies on that list. Uh, so that's pretty much what it's going to come down to for when they pick the rosters. Uh, obviously, Price and Flurry were at the top there. The other four, if I'm not mistaken, was Jordan, Jordan Bennington of St. Louis, mm-hmm. Carter Hart in Philly, Darcy Kemper out there in Colorado, and it was actually uh, Mackenzie Blackwood in Jersey. But Blackwood's big thing, and now he's just gotten his first COVID dose, but the big thing is the re- he was unvaccinated. He was one of only the small handful of players who wasn't, but he's getting vaccinated primarily so he can be in contention for Team Canada. I mean, I'm not going to say that the other health benefits of getting vaccinated was not good enough, but I, I you know, whatever, <laughs> whatever someone takes for someone to get the vaccine, I, I'm not going to argue. <laughs> obviously you that just shows obviously you know my stance that vaccinations are very important I think and uh, but we're not going to get into that um, I mean out of those four it's hard not to to put Carter Hart up ahead and then I would put probably Jordan below him I, I don't I don't know is Kemper the best out of those four? It's going to come down to a lot of how uh, the players are playing December and into January when the rosters have to be announced. Because uh, the only way they're going to be allowed to have a replacement is if like some massive injury happens or something like that. Yeah. Uh, so anyone who struggles early on, which is what I think one of the reasons why you're seeing Carter Hart just bust his ass in Philly and to give them a fighting chance every night, that roster is a little in flux. Um, they don't want to make the strongest showing possible. 
that's why you're seeing a bit of a resurgence in St. Louis. Jordan Pinton looking a little more like his 2019 form. I mean, it's they're, they're extra motivated this year. It's not well, just an 82-game grind. It's, you know, they've got a 50-something game grind to prove for the Olympics. Then they go to the Olympics and they come back and grind for the playoffs. Um, I think the, the dark horse is Blackwood. Definitely. Jersey, you know, they, 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 ever since Marty Berger left, been a bit of a goalie carousel there. Uh, but they seem to sort of have it on lockdown now. They sort of seem to have things right pointing in the right direction, goaltending-wise. Uh, so I, I would put them as my dark horse with um, mainly the playoff experience of Bennington giving him the edge over the, the other players. But we'll see how the season turns out with them. Yeah, I think I'd have to agree because Hart has had like the juniors and international experience already with Team Canada prior to it. So I feel like he is almost there for that third spot, depending obviously how he plays throughout the season. Blackwood definitely is a dark horse. I'd agree with that, Charles. I don't know if Binnington's up there to compete with them to get that last kind of third spot, but I mean, we'll see throughout the season. He's got lots of time before they actually have to make that deadline, like you said. Anything can really happen for goalie-wise. But I'd say Price, Flurry, and Hart are my three choices going into it. I also just want to say the disrespect that uh, our boy Thomas Shabbat gets. You know, just because he's been on a subpar Ottawa team, He's been developing, and now that Ottawa's on the rise, he's he's going to be uh, – he's definitely a quiet leader that, you know, he's been building uh, up his confidence. He's on some lists for Team Canada, but a lot of other people leave him off, and they're just like, oh, we're unsure. Are you unsure because he plays for Ottawa and Ottawa's not good right now, or are you actually looking at what he does? All I know is that uh, I think it was Mike Johnson, one of the more respected color commentators of this current group of uh, this, this current generation. He's got Shabbat on his list, mm-hmm. and he made a pretty good, strong argument for Shabbat being there. Uh, not in the top four role. Shabbat was down on the, on the third pairing, and there was one other list he had where he actually had Shabbat as the seventh defenseman. But given the ice surface they're going to play on, I kind of actually had to agree that Shabbat would be a blessing because he's got – he, he skates effortlessly. He plays He's, 30 minutes a night last year exactly. quite a few times, and he made it look easy. He yeah. didn't look winded. Uh, he's, his, got his pass, he's not a scoring defenseman, but he's he got he has those passes that just sets people up, and he doesn't always get uh, the assist because he starts the playoff, and it might touch more people. But I'm telling you, him and uh, people can't decide him and maybe Darnell Nurse – uh, who's kind of had a resurgence uh, in his play too and has some international experience. Um, I mean, I, again, yeah, injuries are going to come into come into play too. Will Doughty be available? Uh, you know, Hamilton's tearing it up. Like Petrolangelo, is he Shea Theodore? It's... At what point? Shea Theodore goes because he plays with Petrangelo. Uh, Kenzie, you see Kale McCarr a little more than I do. Uh, is, is he on your top uh, six? Absolutely. 
Um, I have him in there, but not Bowen Byram. Byram's just too uh, young, too unproven. But Makar definitely. I, I'm okay with that. I think he's he's proven enough that he. Yeah, I mean that's the thing. You're gonna these young guys. We're we're getting rid of the old guard, if you will, the 2010s, the Vancouver's yeah. and the and the the Sochi's. Uh, so you know, it's great to have some of them as long as they can still play. But uh, you know, there there hasn't been a world championship in two-ish years. Uh, oh, I guess there was one, oh, last, there was one I, last year. I, yeah, that one was weird. Not gonna lie. Canada <laughs> <laughs> hey, still won gold. That's what matters, baby. Canada still won gold. It was just it wasn't Nick the Paul. same. Connor uh, Brown, Spangler Cup. Yeah, Spangler. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> god bless the spang i get ads to like buy a package to go to the spangler cup that pop up every now I and get then that I'm, too. Like, I'm like you know what that's not a crazy price i'd like to do that one year I, like it's just a party yeah it's one that's stadium funny. it's it's in europe like might as well yeah referees it, wear it, cow it like great time you know <laughs> just like 18 billion ads on the jerseys it's Oh, God, that drives me nuts. Yeah, it's – but, uh, yeah, it's a long season. Like you said, we got 50-ish games before the Olympics even start. Uh, we're now in December – or December, geez, November. Uh, end of December is really going to show where players are at, where teams are at, what they have to work on. Uh, I'm still a little – I don't think we need an all-star game, but the NHL sure seems to think that uh, we do. So, uh, but uh, yeah, the season has started. Uh, there's hockey mostly every night. Baseball's winding down. So it's hockey's turn to take center stage. As long as it's not on Monday, Thursday, or Sunday. Uh, <laughs> uh, hockey has the, uh, has the attention of many people, I'm sure. Uh, but Charles, Kenzie, Cole, thank you so much for uh, getting us off season three, off on the right foot. And we will be back with a lot more analysis uh, in the near future. Uh, but thank you always for coming on, for uh, spreading joy, if you will, and uh, making sure that it's just not me and people listening to me for an hour. So uh, Thank you for bringing your uh, diverse opinions and fandoms and uh, can't wait to have you back. Thanks so much for having us, Justin. Thank you.